Okay, we are on the final chapter, chapter 15, and it is called the church, or trutch, if you continue to spell that uh, incorrectly. And what we've been seeing, the theme is basically, it is one of those Christianese words, and the word church is something like we act like, we say it, uh, but we act like we don't know who we are, because we say we're going to... Church, no you're not. The church is a body. It's us, the intestines, if you will, of the body of Jesus Christ. He's the head of the brain. You don't go to church. We are the church. Now, what we saw before, though, too, also the second thing is not only who we are, we seem to forget, but we also seem to forget why we do what we do. And we're going to really get into that uh, tonight. So flip it over there. Let's go ahead and get a cracking uh, on page 167. We left off with worship. The whole reason why we get together, we're supposed to exist. The reason why we exist, period. Why did God create us, let alone the church, his body, is to worship him. Remember that from last time? Worship him. And I think that's the Greek word uh, proskuneo, and literally means to fall down and kiss the hand, okay? Not some man, but Jesus Christ. He is worthy of worship. Okay, as we saw and we left off last time with Isaiah 1, Malachi 1, and Matthew 15, there's one thing that God absolutely hates, and it said it there in the text. Yes, God hates certain things. He hates sin, he hates divorce, and he also hates fake worship. Going through the motions, checking in your little religious time clock, and he hates that. Okay, that's where we left off last time. Now, let's get into those things that are opportunities, you know, just things that we do as Christians, there are opportunities, different facets of this whole thing, of worshiping God as the church. Okay, The first one's teaching there towards the bottom of 167. As we've already observed, the apostles saw the neglecting of the teaching of the word as something they could not afford to do. Right? That's why they uh, raised up the office of the deacons, Okay, because the primary thing that they were called to do was to administer the word of God, i.e. teach and for prayer. Okay, and that's what we saw last time with the organization of the church. You need that to help uh, your pastor out so that he can give you something besides dinty, more uh, microwave beef stew. Blah! Give me some fresh stuff, man. Give me some stuff that's been cooking for a while. Okay, he needs time to do that. So everybody needs to work together to allow that to take place. Since the very early days of the church, instruction in the doctrinal, you're blank there, doctrinal truths of God's word has been extremely important. We've already discussed the importance of renewing your mind and being able to walk in obedience. How do you know how to please God? How many guys want to please God? Praise God. The rest of you will pray for you. Whatever. Tom, Tom start praying quick. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no. Well, well, how do you know? It's right there in the Bible. But if you never study the Bible, how are you going to know? Right? Exactly. Husbands and wives. Do you always just assume that what you're doing is pleasing your spouse? Or would it behoove you at least once every 12.7 years to ask them, how can I please you? And the room got nervous. Let's move on. Uh, let's go on. Um, renewing your mind. One of the pastor teacher's primary responsibilities is to what? Equip the saints for the work of service for the building up of the body of Christ. The maturity, doctrinal discernment, and effectiveness of each believer within the body depends on this teaching. That's why he needs the time to do that. Okay. Uh, and if you don't, it's just, it, and not just he suffers or it's like, well, I'm tired. Of, hey, the church doesn't grow. Okay, everybody works together, functions great. It's almost like God knows what he's doing. All of the epistles, that's your blank there, the epistles, which is the wives of the apostles, right, Jenna? No, no, it's the letters, New Testament letters. Okay, the epistles demonstrate the kind of teaching that must have been customary in the churches, and these include all aspects of doctrinal teaching with application. How many guys heard that? I don't need doctrine. I just need the power of God. I just need an experience. That's what, no, you need doctrine. 
That's why we're going through this. This is laying a good foundation so you understand who we are, right? So that when you explain to somebody else, uh, how many guys would say you need to be accurate? So if you're sharing the gospel, you're really sharing the gospel, not a false gospel, right? Okay, if we're going to be instructed, then we should go to church services. I'll add that. Notice you go to what? What do you say there? Oh, look at that. I go to church services with our Bible pad and pen in hand and record and study what we learn. Why? Because what are we here for? What are we here tonight for? Because Pastor Billy told me to. I know, Tom. I pressured you into it because I need you to pray. But uh, uh, other than Tom and I, uh, why are we here? To learn, right? Okay, to learn. But what is that act of learning, i.e. teaching? What is all this really doing individually? What are we doing? We're growing. We're worshiping God. The more that we learn about God, the more we have different ways and more ways to worship him and thank him for all the great things he's done. Why? Because we learn about all the great things he's done. And this is an attitude or an avenue of being able to worship. How many of us go to school? I love this analogy. Without our textbooks, paper and pen. Right? How much more should we be diligent uh, and studying from the book of eternal wisdom? Right? We've talked about that many times before. Hey, if you don't apply yourself in school, what kind of grades you get? All right? And you say, oh, I'm going to college, be this great whatever, blah, 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 and graduate with this degree. Really, you want that degree? What do you got to do to get it? Right? But for some reason, when it comes to spiritual things, la, 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 la. Okay? And that's what we saw. We need to do that. Okay? But hey, wait a second. What if the pastor's teaching is absolutely boring and uh, uh, you actually see cobwebs growing around everybody's uh, uh, arms and his eyelids are droopy and he talks in a monotone voice and I fell asleep three minutes later. Oh! <laughs> You're messing my point up already, John. I got a lot of ground to cover, too. Right? We'll get to that in a second. I want to give you a perfect analogy. I, I talked about that before. I actually got spanked by God uh, when I was doing an internship under uh, another pastor, seasoned pastor, great pastor, lots of practical advice. Pastor Bill Goddard. Okay? And he just did, he, I think I showed this before, he had just one of those monotone voices and, and he didn't, I mean, he was like behind the pulpit and was pretty much like this and just stayed there. Right? It just wasn't my cup of tea. Right? And, uh, and so it's just, right there. and I was, you know, the hot shot bubble college guy you know whatever and i'm in there i'm getting such a bad attitude i'm actually scribbling drawn in the bulletin i'm the intern studying under this guy what a horrible attitude and i convinced myself i can't get nothing from this guy's sermons because it's so stinking boring it's not my cup of tea it's not my style i like a different style so i can't get nothing and i didn't get nothing until god convicted my heart and i repented to god says god would you please forgive me what a nasty attitude uh, i have and really what he showed me was get your eyes, because you're here to what? Worship God. Do you think it's by chance your pastor's preaching when he's preaching on that Sunday? Excuse me? Could it possibly be that God put that on his heart to preach that? Same thing with Pastor Bill. And so number one, you need to acknowledge God is the one that's in control. He is steering even, yes, that man from the pulpit, okay? And that we're there to worship God. Don't get your worship, i.e. your focus, okay, on the man. Don't get it on so much the message, I mean, as far as the delivery style or the methodology. Get it on Jesus Christ and get excited because it's not by chance you're there. Because I'll guarantee you every single Sunday, every single Wednesday, every time you're in an environment, at least unless it's false teaching, that when the word of God is being preached, God's got you there for a purpose. But if you convince yourself that you're there to worship, it's got to be my style, my method, my way. What You'll get nothing. It'll become a self-fulfilling prophecy and ruin the whole thing. I had to learn that. And you go there, well, yeah, maybe I better get a cup of coffee and try to keep myself awake or do something. But every time when, after I repented and got right with God, 
Did you know the very next Sunday I went there and Pastor Bill had the audacity to preach the exact same way? He didn't change one bit. I couldn't believe it, Mary. It's like, come on, dude, right? But you know something? From that Sunday forward, every single Sunday, I was blessed by the word of God. It wasn't the man. It wasn't the message. It wasn't the methodology. It was my heart. Well, we say we're the church and we're there to worship God, give an attentive ear to his word and listen. Hey, listen, if God could use a donkey, don't you think he could use me? And any pastor? Come on. God can do it. Okay, we're there to teach. Let's look at the next one. Uh, uh, is uh, the text there. Let's continue on. He says prayer. That's at the top of the page 168. That's another reason, right? And it's not just individual. We're talking the church getting together. Corporate prayer. Let's take a look at that. Prayer should be an intricate part of corporate worship of the local church. Prayer was practiced both individually and what? Corporately, okay? We should all learn to take part in prayer and corporate worship. Now, here's the problem. Here's the rub. The fear for many of us is that our prayer will not sound sophisticated enough. Or it will not be as beautiful or insightful as John last week. As he offered up that wonderful prayer about our intestines, and he went on into the scientific medical explanation of how he threw in thy, though thy, thee, though, thee, thou. I can never pray like that. Oh, I got to throw that one in there too. See, I'm not as good as you, John. Come on, what's the deal? And that's what he says. That's our problem. See, we, we think we have to pray like Pastor Billy or we got to pray like uh, Pastor Jim or we got to pray like John with the intestines and, and all that stuff. And, and we have to use all this flowery language and we got, and I can't do that. I can't speak. That. That's not what prayer is. And I'm not going to belabor that because we have a whole section on that. Prayer is simply uh, speaking out to God from your heart. Right? If you guys are in the drive-up window at Wendy's and you're really hungry, I broke, a, I broke a homiletics rule, Tom. You're never supposed to give food and allergies right before lunch and your supper time because people only think about Wendy's from the rest of the meal, whatever. So <laughs> you're hungry, man. You're going to Wendy's. Obviously, I haven't eaten either. But uh, triple bacon cheese. And so you're, oh, I can't wait. You get to the drive-up window and you just, he goes, can I take your order? Because that's what it sounds like, right? You can't understand them. You're assuming you're reading the lips of the microphone, right? And what do you say? <laughs> I don't know how to give an order. I don't know. I, I can't speak to you. I don't know how to ask for a cheeseburger and large fries. Wouldn't that be goofy? Well, why do we do that with God? We've seen that many times before. It's just that. You get up there and pray. Some of the most beautiful, profound, awesome prayers I've heard is from my own children. And from brand spanking new Christians. They don't know all the fluff and the Christianese and the vows and the these and whatever. And it's from the heart. It's like, whoa. And then sometimes you get convicted. You go, man, what, am I getting off base? Am I starting to talk to God like a real... Okay, and that's what he's talking about. That's not what it's all about. Okay, remind yourself that prayer is talking to God and that the prayer is not to instruct someone else, okay... And that's right, God, as we also know that there's a deacon's meeting later. And as we all know, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, the qualifications of the deacons are that they're supposed to be men who are reliable and who show up on time. And it... If you want the deacons there, you go tell the deacons. You don't sneak that into prayer. You're not talking to God. It's supposed to be worship. Go talk to the deacon. Tell them. We do that, don't we? Or then we try to, and he says there, not uh, to, to uh, instruct somebody or, or, or you know, uh, is what he says there. Have you ever done that? 
And you, 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 maybe you had a Sunday school and maybe one of you didn't really agree complete with what the other one does. So you got to ask him prayer. So you got the last word in. And as the Bible says in John chapter 6, you cannot lose your salvation because Jesus... <laughs> it's, when we pray, what are we supposed to be doing as a church? Worship. Why do we do all this goofy stuff? And if you're asked to pray even corporately, there isn't, you shouldn't even be nervous. If you can order a cheeseburger, if you can talk to John about intestines, you can do it. Yeah. Okay, that's this. Yeah, yeah. So, but, uh, but that's what it is. We're there to worship God, and that's what he says. He said, it's not to instruct somebody else or gain their approval. Remember, trying to impress somebody. Remember what Jesus said when you pray? Don't be doing it in the big streets, right? Matthew, the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount there. And uh, he, what, what's your reward if you do that? If it's all for show, you got it. That's it. That's your reward. The applause. Ooh, ooh, oh, that was a beautiful prayer. Oh. Okay, I want God to hear me. Okay, remind yourself it's not talking to God. Uh, or remind yourself that prayer is talking to God and that prayer is not to instruct someone else or gain their approval. It is to communicate your heart to God. That's your blank there. Your heart to God. This will relieve some of the fear associated with praying in corporate worship. The many facets involved in prayer were discussed in, that's right, Jenna, prayer life. It might be good to go back and review those at this point. Hey, what's another thing we get together for? Not just for teaching to worship God, not just for prayer in worship to God. What's the next one? Singing. Because we all know when it comes to singing, it's to impress people with our operatic voice. Oh! Are you guys getting awake yet? I'm digging the microphone tonight. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> I need a best Jim. Thanks. I don't know how to ask for him. No. <laughs> anyway. Singing. <laughs> the New Testament exhorts both private and public singing. What do you mean you can sing to God and you're not even here at sunrise facilities? Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, showers, this could be a good place. Okay, both public and private singing is a facet of worship. When one is happy, you should what? Sing, yay! Paul and Silas, though, sang hymns of praise in the hotel. Hotel Paradise. It was off, I think it was near Maui, was it? Was that what it said in the text there? Yeah, whatever, it's in jail. Okay, as we saw last time, there's only two times you need to praise God. Number one, when you're alone. Number two, when you're with somebody. Okay, and it keeps it pretty simple. Sing and praise to God. Sometimes when you're going through hard times, sing your guts out, man. That'll lift that cloud of depression and discouragement, all kinds of stuff. Because what? Your focus is not on your problems. It's on Jesus Christ, who is above and beyond our problems and promise that even in our difficulties, every single one of them, even the hard ones, are working together for good. But they're, they're uh, singing in uh, praise in jail. Singing, your next blank there after jail, was a part of corporate worship as well. Okay, and this was likely a solo Though distinctions have been made between psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, uh, they cannot be held rigidly, okay? Psalms uh, possibly refers to Old Testament psalms, uh, though perhaps with Christians' additions. Hymns may be praises directed to God, uh, yet might include uh, using psalms. Uh, uh, spiritual songs may include a wider variety of themes. Music is an important part of worship in most churches today. Some would say, you know, Satan was an anointed cherub, possibly, you know, with worship and singing with God. Do you think music is uh, something that he would twist and pervert? Right? I think it was Sebastian Bach had said that the sole purpose of music is to glorify God. What's music being done today? 
Wow, I think we talked about this before. Even in the early church, the, uh, even the false teachers in the church knew the power of music, okay? And what they would do is they would take their false teachings, okay, this is in church history, they would take their false teachings and put them to a little ditty, to a catchy little tune, right? And, uh, and then, they would, then the, the people would be humming that tune. They'd be singing that tune. And they didn't realize that what they're singing and repeating in their brain with that tune via the music is a false teaching. Very slick. Good thing the enemy doesn't do that today. Yeah, whatever, he's doing the same thing today. Okay, uh, all of us can sing from the joy in our heart of knowing Christ as our Savior and his go- constant goodness towards us. We saw this before. If you really want to break it down, how many guys that when you met uh, your future spouse, that you actually did that romantic thing and you, you sung to them, like John did to Ruth? Oh, Ruth a kiss. Oh, Ruth. How did that go, Ruth? How did it go? Really? Really? Give it up for Pastor Jim. Woo! Right on. I tell you what. And uh, so, but, uh, you know, that's what it is. Because you're like, you're just, it's just one of those ways you what? You show your, your love. Right? Maybe not as popular today, but you still do it. Okay. I composed a song from Randy. I don't remember what it was, but anyway, it's on paper somewhere. But anyway, that's right. But it's just, you know, especially if you're musically inclined, you kind of do that stuff. You sing a love song to your loved one. That's what we're doing in the church. I, but what if it's not the music I like? What if it's, uh, you know, I don't like that style. I don't like, who cares? What are you there for? Is this entertainment time? Right? No. I don't care if John's up here playing spoons and Ron's got a tuba. You know, as long as they're in halfway in tune, we should be going, whoa, praise God, an opportunity to sing my guts out for Jesus. I love them. Right? Might be a neat combo, but uh, seriously. And again, that's another lesson that I learned. Right? We get all distracted. It's got to be my style. It's got to be my music. It's got to be, oh, oh, did you hear them? They missed a note. What are you there for? Should we start passing out uh, scorecards? That was a 5.4. I told you a story before about uh, the lady who for five years, I think it was, many years, the pastor, every single Sunday, every single Sunday after service, she didn't say hi, boo, nothing. She handed him a slip of paper with all the grammatical mistakes he made that Sunday. Year after year after stinking years. Like, really? That's, that's what you come for? Can you believe that? Hey, folks, can I tell you something? We do the same thing. Not just with the preacher. We do it with the singing. We do it with everything. It's like, what? whoa. Oh, yes, we've come to worship God. Really? What, what's your attitude when it comes to teaching time? Are you paying attention? Or are you ordering pizza? Right? What was singing? Staring at the bulletin? <laughs> Talking to somebody else? Or just go, oh, not, not that song again. Oh, I wonder when they still going to play some real music. <laughs> what are we here for? And I'm telling you, at the end, if we make it that far, we're going to see when we play these games, Pastor Bill, the same guy that I had the unfortunate attitude with a while before God spanked me, okay, he had a phrase. He said his greatest fear in ministry was that we would, as the church, we would play church and not be church. And as a young intern, I go, well, that's a nifty, quaint saying. Pastors always say those kind of cool things. I didn't really get it until later in ministry. It's like, wow, boy, is he right on. We play church a lot, don't we? We need to be church. But we've got to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Okay, let's continue on. We sing from joy from our heart of knowing Christ as our Savior and his constant goodness towards us. Although all of us may not have wonderful singing voices, Thanks, Pastor Jim. We should all be involved in the singing and corporate worship. 
of those more talented in music and singing should be using those talents uh, for the Lord in corporate worship of the body as a witness in other arenas of life. Pastor Jim knows this, AJ knows this, and the worship team, the choir knows this. You're not up there to give a show. Hopefully that God is using you as an instrument to provide an atmosphere that is conducive for people to hop on board, if you will, with that song, whatever style it is, and make melody in their own heart and sing that as a love song to Jesus. That's what it's about. That's what it's all about, okay? But yet we get hung up, unfortunately, on a lot of that stuff. Okay, so giving is another thing. Why do we give? Because we have to. They say you always have to give. They're always asking you to give, give, Worship. Do you love Jesus? Let's do another show of hands. Yes, you two in the back row. Thank you, kindly. That's right. We almost got out in prayer. Okay, uh, yeah, we love Jesus. Do you love him enough to see his kingdom expand and grow? Yeah. Aren't you glad that just happens by osmosis? <laughs> the wind going in the right direction? Hey! Woo! How does that happen? We work together and we teach and got to pay the bills and it's nice to meet here and in order to teach and curriculum and all that kind of stuff. And your pastor needs to eat once in a while and the other staff members and you know what I'm saying? It, how does that happen? If you're thankful, if you come here to worship... If you enjoy the teaching and the singing, if your attitude's in the right place, then that's a natural thing too. Okay, and that's what he's talking about. We've already briefly discussed giving in our chapter on stewardship. Now we will discuss giving in the relation to the church more specifically. The New Testament says more about giving, is your blank there, more about giving than any other single aspect of church life. Giving to others serves as a clear proof of one's love for God. Why? Well, turn real quickly to James chapter 2. Right? On the one hand, you want everything, 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 and you refuse to give back. That's, that's dangerous. James chapter 2. Okay. If you were hooked on bad French, Tom, how would you say that? Jamais. There you go. James chapter 2, verses uh, 15. And uh, this is what he says. He says, now, now suppose a brother or sister uh, is without clothes and daily food, and if one of you says to him, hey... That's right, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed. You know, Sunday mornings when we greet each other. Hey, how you doing, Mary? Oh, I'm doing fine. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, really? And little did you know that Mary's house blew up. Ron left the stove on, the gas stove on, and it literally blew up that morning. They just got here in time, 9-11, the fire station's just left. You can still see black smudge marks on uh, Ron's face, but we think it's because he hasn't shaved in five days. But that's really what it is. And they show up, and we ask them how they're doing. They're, hey, I'm doing fine. Yep, yeah, it's great. We never play those games, do we? How many guys ever have those intense moments of fellowship on the way to church services? And right when you turn into the parking lot, hmm. Walk in the front door, had the worst morning of your life. He even ran over the cat on the way here. Praise Joe. Well, that would put a smile on some people's face. Hey, 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 listen, I like cats. Although some people say they taste like chicken. That's not what I'm talking about, John. But anyway, so, but, <laughs> no. Okay, no, seriously, is what we're going is, he's, you see somebody in need, don't play this game like, hey, yeah, everything's fine, just walk on by. Don't play that game. He says, listen, he says, now listen, here's the danger of that. He says, but, and you do nothing about his physical needs? What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, it's dead. But some will say, well, you got to uh, uh, have faith, I, I have deeds. 
Well, you show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith by what I do. You believe there's one God? Hey, I, I believe in God, I, and I believe that Jesus, he exists, and all that stuff, and yet you do nothing. You, what's he say there? Even the demons believe that, and they what? Shudder. Wow. So you just come in and punch your time clock. You don't want to give. You don't want to help. You don't want to do nothing. And you say, oh, I believe in God. Really? If you believe in God, you're going to support his kingdom. As we saw before, it's not just your treasure. That is part of it. Your treasure, but it's also your time. As we saw just early, even with the element of singing, which is just one, your talent, if you will, your giftedness. Okay, and with your thumb. We'll get that in a little bit when it comes to sharing the gospel okay, is how we uh, do that. He says it's an expression of your love for God, and it should stem from a life that has first been given to him. Remember, we don't live for ourselves. We live for who, right? And we own everything, and God only gets a little portion, whatever we decide. Now, he owns it all. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord and everything in it. That includes us, all right? And we're just stewards of it, okay, as we saw earlier in the stewardship chapter. And it should be done voluntarily, not because you have to. Liberally, even in poverty, God ever test you? God ever test you when you had $7 left in your pocket and he prompted you by his spirit to say, give it to that person? You're saying, but I don't have enough money for gas. Literally. And you went ahead and you were obedient. Next thing you know, you get home, you're sweating bullets, getting ready to tell your wife, I have no idea how I'm going to get gas this week. And you got a check in the mail for 120 bucks out of the blue from somewhere. I get, man, I all kinds of stories, man, just weird stuff like that. Sometimes he'll test you. It's not always because you have so much laying around. Sometimes he'll test you, okay? You know why? Because I've learned it's not just for that person's need. I think it's to protect our heart from being greedy. And that our hands need to be open like this, and it's his anyway. If he puts it in and he wants to take it out, keep it like that. The problem we have is when we go, mm, whether it's finances, whether it's possessions, whether it's relationships, whether it's circumstances, whether it's our life, it's his, okay? And that's what he says. Liberally, even in poverty, cheerfully. Oh, man, here comes that plate. Right? And according to the measure of prosperity, God gives to the individual. Did it ever occur to you the reason why he gave you the raise? Because he wanted you to give more? To support his kingdom? Man, going to Medlin early. Uh, and uh, so uh, as far as the New Testament revelation is concerned, giving was the principal area in which there was a cooperative effort among a number of churches. They worked together and did great things for God. It almost sounds like a biblical concept uh, to me. We should all be giving voluntarily and liberally. It's your next two blanks there. Voluntarily and liberally to support the work of our church, missions, and those in need. Now, fellowship. That's the in-between time, if you will, right? You got your teaching going on. You got your singing going on. You got your prayer going on. Here comes that plate thing uh, or opportunity to give not just your treasure, but your time, your talent, your tongue and stuff like that. Uh, all those in-between spaces, you know, when you get to sit there and you get to say, hey, Mary, can you uh, tell me about your house? <laughs> Didn't Ron really blow it up? Can we talk? Can I pray with you? It's the in-between times that we get to have this fellowship. Okay, that's why we're here. Not to peel out of the door. Maybe God wanted you to stick around because there's a Christian there in need and you have the certain particular gift, maybe the gift of encouragement, that if you stuck around for five more minutes that God could use you and set you up and give them an encouraging word and it would make their day and spur them on deeper in their walk with Jesus Christ. But no, you We need to hang out with each other. That's what fellowship. Believe it or not, we're getting ready to start pinheads for Jesus. 
Yes, that's the bowling link that's getting ready to start up November 1st, uh, sunrise. <laughs> you got to make it sound biblical, right? Anyway, <laughs> anyway, gutter balls for God didn't sound too good, John. But anyway, so, but, uh, <laughs> okay. So, he's like, well, why is that? Just stuff. No, it's for us to hang out. Honestly, I kid you not. 95% of the reason is to hang out and get to know each other outside these four walls. Break down the barriers, right? Get out of my pasture mode and just whoop up on, well, maybe I won't. Have people give them comic relief as they watch me try, right? So we can get to know each other. It's not just coming here, rushing here, pucking time clock, doing your thing. Because why are we here? We're here to worship. And part of that worship is interacting with each other, using the gifts that God's given us so that we can all grow stronger. But that takes time. And that's what he says, fellowship. The early church continued in fellowship. This means it had a close relationship. It's your blank there. Close relationship with each other. Emphasis mind. Now that's a little scary there, Ruth. We got to the very end. They didn't say act. It was emphasis mind. John, you want to be emphasis mind? Act and emphasis? Okay, that's good. Okay. This closeness consisted of their common doctrinal allegiance, their willingness to share material things, the experience of communion in the Lord's Supper, and in sharing prayers. Okay, in other words, all aspects of worship constitute fellowship. All this hanging out. And dare I say the in-between times. Okay, constitutes fellowship. It's not a separate entity that exists by itself. It is a practice of corporate worship based on the illustration in 1 Corinthians 12. We saw that before last time, I believe, in the time before, body life. Okay, it's based on Ephesians 2, and it may well as just be called household life or family life. Okay, same guy, Pastor Bill. You know, when people would uh, uh, come forward for membership or they'd be saved, and he would always say this. He says, welcome to the family of God. Welcome to the forever family of God. Right? It's awesome. Me and John forever and ever and ever and ever are going to be rapping about ect and intestines. It's going to be awesome, Jenna. I'm serious. Right? You get to share with my wife uh, how much you guys like that pumpkin spice, coffee mate stuff. You know what I'm saying? And how cool that is. And hopefully they have in heaven too. And stuff like that. You know, it's just we, we, forever. Why not take the time to get to know each other now when we really need each other because it ain't coming from the world until we wait to get to heaven, right? That's the gift of a fellowship. Okay, the goal, whatever the label, is to increase health, strength, commitment, and the numbers of the body of the household, okay? As we can see from the above explanation, fellowship is your blank again. Fellowship goes far beyond the superficial greeting Superficial conversation, superficial meeting together for Sunday service, and post-service meal. Now, what's the code word that we call that? Potluck, right? That's what it is, post-service meal. Okay, they were big on that. You know, every time they met together, man, meal. In fact, some of their meals got out of hand. First Corinthians chapter 11, okay, they're uh, celebrating with a communion. Okay, and that's what he says. So we got the post-service meal, uh, commonly referred to as fellowship. Fellowship can certainly include this, but an additional critical aspect is the day-to-day commitment to a loving, caring relationship. Whoa, 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 a second there. Isn't it supposed to be week-to-week commitment? You know, because one-hour a week commitment? Oh, it says day-to-day commitment to a loving, caring relationship towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is an aspect which we should be involved. We're a family. We need each other. We've got to get to know each other. It's not illegal to hang out outside of Sundays. Let's close in prayer. Now, let's continue on. I've got much more to go. But now, when we get this right, the church functions beautifully. 
It's a powerful witness. We grow, everything's awesome. But let me give you the classic example. I've shared this before, but I want to share it now in the context because remember, we're supposed to be here as the church, the body of Christ. We get together. The whole theme, as we all know, is to worship God, right? And then we get to do that individually through teaching and prayer and singing and giving and hanging out with each other, getting to know each other with fellowship. But here's how easy it is to hose it up. Okay, let me share with you that classic story. Jim Smith went to church service on Sunday morning, and he heard the organist miss a note during their prelude, and he went, And then he saw a teenager talking when everybody's supposed to be bowed in silent prayer. He felt like the usher was watching to see what he put in the offering plate, and it made him boil. And Tom, he caught the preacher making a slip of the tongue five times in the sermon by actual count. And he slipped out through the side door during the closing hymn, and he muttered to himself, never again, what a bunch of clods and hypocrites. Good riddance. No. <laughs> Ron Jones, he went to a church service one Sunday morning, and he heard the organist play an arrangement of a mighty fortress, and he was thrilled at the majesty of it. He heard a young girl take a moment in the service to speak how her simple, uh, her, her simple moving message about the difference her faith was making in her life, and and he was glad to see that the church was sharing in a special offering uh, that Sunday for the hungry children in Nigeria. And he especially appreciated the sermon that Sunday uh, because it answered a question that had been bothering him for a long time. And he thought as he walked out the doors, how can a man come here and not feel the presence of God? Well, the punchline is both men went to the same church service on the same Sunday morning. And each found what he was looking for. And see, that's the punchline. What do we look for? And Sunday mornings. Oh, I'm here to worship God. Are you? Or are you nitpicking the teaching to death because it's not the way you want it? You need to get spanked like I did by God. Oh, they don't sing the way I like it. What? You're supposed to be singing songs to Jesus. Huh? The prayer, I can't, I can't in prayer. I can't. That was so simplistic. I mean, come on. You're supposed to, when you pray, you gotta. Blah, blah. Really? I thought you're supposed to pray from your heart. And you will sit there, and every single week, you will get nothing. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. I get nothing. Well, yeah, you get nothing because you tricked yourself into not getting nothing. When, man, there was all kinds of wonderful opportunities to worship God and grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you see how it works? Very, very profound. Let's con- now let's take a look at ordinances, all right? An ordinance might simply be defined as an outward rite prescribed by Christ to be performed by his church, okay? We do that two ways, obviously, with baptism and the Lord's Supper. Let's take a look at the first one, baptism. Again, this is why we do what we do. I guess that's just what you do. Sometimes, somewhere, you got to go back in that tank and watch Pastor Billy make a stew with potatoes and, and stuff like that. <laughs> now, it wasn't that bad. This, it was a little bit better this time. Okay, and uh, why do we do that? Well, here's why. As Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you to do. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Shortly before Christ ascended to heaven. Now listen, before he went to heaven, if you're getting ready to leave, don't you think your last words hopefully should be, they probably should carry some weight. You'd think, unless your last words were, hey, watch me jump this. Then you don't get a chance, you know what I'm saying? If you do one of those things, that's a guy thing. All right, but uh, uh, yeah, and so this is Jesus getting ready to ascend to the heavens, right? He's leaving. Here's what he, and that's what he said. Shortly before Christ ascended to heaven, he gave this command to his disciples, not a suggestion. 
in the origination of this ordinance, there's a particular order established. The first act was to make disciples. Right? Make disciples is your blank there. Then those disciples were to be baptized. Why do we have a baptism committee here? Because we need to make sure the best we can that those people are actually disciples of Christ. Right? Make disciples, and then, yes, you do need to be baptized, as Jesus encouraged us to do. This is the pattern that's carried out in the book of Acts. Peter commanded that his hearers should first repent, then be baptized. Only those who heard the gospel, understood, and responded to it through faith and repentance should, could be baptized. The result was that the people received the word, of, uh, the word and then was baptized. Baptism, your next blank there at the top of 170, is an outward sign of an inward change. It's symbolic. Baptism does not save you, just like we're going to see with communion. When we take communion, does that save us? Does that earn merit with God? No, as we're going to see, they're symbolic. They're in remembrance of what Christ has done. Okay? It's an outward sign of an inward change. The Greek word baptizo literally means to dip or immerse. That's why we do full immersion. Okay? And if you ever see me back then, those people are resisting. I'm going, uh, baptizo. No, but it usually works pretty good if you've got a good swing going. You don't have to do that. Okay? Uh, except that one time. No. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a little technique there. I have, oh, you thought that was... I know you guys, I know what you're thinking on Sunday. I mean, I had this one guy, he's like six foot six, man. He's a big old dude. Everybody's just like, he's, Pastor Bill, he's going down, he's going down. I can see the muttering. I almost did go down on that one, but man, just the last minute, oh, you know, I couldn't move my bicep for 19 days, but who's counting? But uh, anyway, but uh, it means baptizo. The word was actually used to, the baptizo, like a ship that sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Baptizo, that's full immersion. Okay, and that's what we, we practice, okay? And thus the motive uh, baptism should be immersion. Uh, this immersion uh, best pictures, against it's symbolic, the significance of baptism, which is uh, death to the old life and resurrection, praise God, to the new, right? As we're saying, I'm here to worship Jesus. He saved me so that I can live a new life in him. And that's what you're doing when you be baptized. So when you get up there and you get out of the water, you go, okay, I'm out of here. I got my fire insurance. Woo-hoo! Why in the world do you even get baptized? Or should you even have been baptized? Were you truly a disciple of Christ? Okay. Make disciples, baptize. Next one that we do is called the Lord's Supper. Again, this is why we do what we do. 101. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he said, take this, share it among yourselves. For I say to you, Jesus is speaking, of course, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me and in the same way he took the cup after he'd eaten saying this cup is poured out for you is the new covenant or contract in my blood christ instituted the lord's supper on the eve of his crucifixion commanding that his followers continue to observe it until his return this was a new covenant or testament in contrast with the old mosaic covenant to enact the covenant death was necessary because death provided the forgiveness of sins Paul also rehearsed the ordinance for the Corinthian church. That's the passage I read every time, 1 Corinthians 11. The observation of the Lord's Supper is a memorial. Is your blank there? Memorial. It's a memorial to his death. The reoccurring statement, in remembrance of me, makes it clear. Okay, the bread symbolizing his perfect body offered as a sin-bearing sacrifice. The wine, his blood, shed forgiveness of our sins. It is a proclamation of the death of Christ while we await his coming. Good thing we see no signs of that happening anytime soon. Yeah, whatever. Uh, And uh, it involves looking back to the historical event of the cross and anticipating his return in the future. It is a communion of believers with each other. They eat and drink the same symbolic elements focusing on their common faith in Christ. 
okay? And the final one is ministry. The ministry of the church is two main areas, ministry within the church family, which we covered in corporate worship, and ministry outside the body of the unsaved world. So he's really talking about evangelism here. Okay, let's finish up. And now as Jesus came up and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that's why we always have to be freaked out about these weird governments and the Antichrist kingdom and Satan and all these evil demons because they're gonna whoop up on who's in control. Hey, have you ever freaked out about circumstances? I don't have time to read it for you right now. Go read Psalm chapter two and go to sleep. God's laughing at all these people trying to overthrow his kingdom. <laughs> That's what it says there. He who sits enthroned in heaven laughs. That's God. Yeah, you're going to throw over? I don't think so. Okay. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Is that not a comfort? Aren't you glad that uh, we're not just hanging here high and dry? hoping that somehow, some way, someday that God might get that email letting us know that Ron and Mary's house blew up. Now he knows. Your house is okay, right? Okay, I'm just, yeah, me too. I'm starting to, it keeps coming out. Anyway, the, <laughs> this, okay, this is the central commission of the church of Jesus Christ. Underline that word, central. The great commission is not the grand suggestion. God wants more people in his body. As cool as a bunch of intestines we are, he could use a couple more, right? He wants us to go get some more, okay, by his spirit, of course. This commission was not given to the church leaders, but the entire, well, that's only Pastor Billy because he's got the gift of evangelism. No, show me the verse. People might have that gift, okay, but that doesn't mean you don't, you're, I'm not called to witness. I don't know how to speak to people. You know how to order that cheeseburger, right? Hey, it's easy nowadays especially with the media ministry, right? How many guys can go like this? And let's practice that. Let's do that corporately. We're, we're improving our relationship. Go like this. And you can smile when you do it, right? Let's, let's try it again because we're not doing it. All right, we're not leaving here tonight until we all do this. Hey, look at that. We're all doing it. Right? Hey, right? right? That's called, can you hand out a DVD? Man, you just shared the gospel. Oh, well, that was so hard. Getting ready to hand out some flyers, a big community outreach. Uh, huh? It's that simple, okay, is what it is. The entire body's responsibility, if we're followers of Christ, we're responsible to do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission. This means we should all make evangelism and follow-up instruction part of our lifestyle. Evangelism should not be a program, but rather a lifestyle. How, I'm not against programs to encourage us to evangelize, but oftentimes I think if we would just individually all do what we're called to do and supposed to do, would we need those programs? Which oftentimes, you have to spend a lot of money. Not against them, please. I'm not throwing the baby out of the bathwater. But if every individual Christian, every single day, was being responsible with the sphere of influence that God gave him to evangelize, do you really need all that? Okay? Or are we just resisting? In our everyday life, by our conducts and attitudes, we should be living examples of God's grace. We're called to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And believers are to make known God's righteous requirements of man and the need for repentance and regeneration. Finish it up. That's right, Tom. What a prayer warrior. How to fit in. How do I do it? As a believer in Christ Jesus, you are a part of the body of Christ. This means that you have gifts that are important to the proper functioning of the body. And that God has chosen you, yes, that's right, even you, 
to be his witness in your sphere of influence. You are not uh, uh, insignificant or a second-class person in the body of Christ. To be effective within the local body and your sphere of influence, school, family, job, and act, okay? You need to be equipped is your final, almost final blank there. The daily time with God will be important in equipment process. As teaching and fellowship, you'll receive in your local church. Uh, as you mature, you will start to be able to discern your gifts. The final blank. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> to discern your gifts and fill specific needs in your local church. You will also be an incredible witness as your attitudes and actions change. And it becomes evident to everyone that something significant has happened in your life. Divine appointments to share your faith will naturally develop as you and as you lead people to Christ. What? You mean to tell me that somebody else besides Pastor Billy and Pastor Jim can lead a soul to Christ? Yeah. Nothing cooler. Freddie just did it last week. Had one of the biggest smiles on his face. It's cool. Okay? And, uh, share, and you can, uh, uh, divine appointments to share your faith will naturally develop as you lead people to Christ. You'll have the opportunity to ground them in truth as someone is doing with you right now through this curriculum. The process will never stop, and it must stop. Now, we're going to close with this exciting story. This actually is a true story. It's a true letter. It's a letter from a high school girl, a non-Christian, who was invited to the Christian girl's church to go to services, right? Here's what she wrote after she went there. This is, to me, what happens. We'll say, man, that was, that, oh yeah, we need to worship God, but... We don't even make it a week. This coming Sunday, we're back at it again. Well, that teaching ain't what I want or the way I like or I didn't like this. Or that singing, if I have to hear contemporary, if I got to hear another hymn, if that choir does this, well, did you hear how Kenny prayed? I can't stand the way, blah, 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 blah. Here comes the plate again. Blah, 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 blah. We're back at it again. We'll enter those doors going, I'm here to worship God. Even after all this tonight, Here's the stinger. It doesn't just affect us, the body. It affects people who come into the body. This is a real letter. Listen to this. This is when you play church and not be church. She said, I attended your church service yesterday, although you had invited me. Remember the Christian teenager friend invited her. Although you had invited me, you weren't even there. I looked for you, hoping to sit with you, but I sat alone. As a stranger, I wanted to sit near the back, but those pews were all packed with regular attenders. So an usher took me all the way to the front. I felt like I was on parade. During the singing of the hymns, I was surprised to note that some of the church people weren't even singing. Between their sighs and yawns, they just stared into space. Three of the kids that I respected on campus were whispering to one another throughout the whole service. Another girl was giggling. I really didn't expect that in your church. The pastor's sermon was very interesting, although some members didn't seem to think so. They looked bored and restless. One kept smiling at someone in the congregation. There were several people who left and then came back during the sermon, and I thought, how rude. I could hear constant shuffling of feet and the doors opening and closing as the pastor spoke about the reality of faith. The message got to me, the non-Christian. The message got to me, and I made up my mind to speak to someone about it after the service, but utter chaos reigned after the benediction. I, I said good morning to one couple, but their response was less than cordial. I looked for some teens with whom I could discuss the sermon, but they're all huddled off in a corner talking about the newest music group. And she says this, true story. My parents don't go to church. I came alone yesterday hoping to find a place to truly worship and feel some love. 
I'm sorry, but I didn't find it in your church and I won't be back. We need to understand who we are. We're the body of Jesus Christ. And more importantly, we need to understand why we do what we do. It ain't about us. It's about him. And when we come here, whether it's singing or prayer or teaching, our attitude is to be one of worship. And I guarantee we'll get not only much more out of it, but when people come who are here who are not Christians, they'll be blown away. Because I don't know if you noticed this or not, but you can be playing all these little funny games and muttering. Ever, ever occur to you that the person sitting next to you or the people you can't see behind you don't know Jesus Christ and they're watching every word you say and every move? And I won't be back. We have to get back to being the church and not playing church. Amen? Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death? In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God, out of love, gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's His standard. Uh, uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. 
I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer. I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step. To admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven. I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judge has said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know, it's actually on historical record, that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty, and they've refused to take it. And so, even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. Again, that's what He was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.